Welcome to Bottoms on Top. I'm John. And I'm Andreas. And we're happy to have you. Today we're going to be talking to Nick Joyner, yet again, if you'll believe it, in his silly faggot corner. And then a little bit later, we'll be having Giovanni Yaboni, of all people, back on the podcast to talk about creating queer communities once you leave Penn. And I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) So... Andreas, as you may have seen, I'm a regular columnist for 34th Street Magazine these days. I saw, I read your first uh, column for 69th Street, correct? That is what it's called. I did not name it, but that is what it's called. Wonderful. And it was on bad dates, right? Yes. And why me and my co-author, Hannah, believe that bad dates are beneficial to a person's interpersonal and romantic growth. So how about you give us a little summary of what? the reasoning behind this was so basically we were just saying that like in the real world you're going to need to meet people either to be friends or romantic interests and so you should use college as a time to like put on your training wheels and go on dates and practice those skills of like making conversation with someone you haven't met before and all of these things and Basically, it's going to go poorly a lot of the time just because that's the nature of the game. But you learn from that experience and it's like overall net posy. I got to say, I agree with you. But I disagree that some that there will always be bad dates because I personally don't think I'm a bad date. Oh, no? No. Say more. I don't think I've ever been on a date. Now, I don't think I've ever been on a date where... I felt like I was lacking myself more so like the other person was lacking. And I've deconstructed this before with personality types, astrology, and just like my personal emotions. Uh-huh. And I think I've boiled it down to it's because I'm an Aries. Uh. That I will never think that I was a bad date. If it went poorly, it was the other person's fault, never me. I'm a, One thing that I have learned, I would say, is how to try to like make a u-turn out of a date when it's not going well although sometimes it doesn't go according to plan like one time i was with this guy and it was just like really not working for me and he had like left studying to come like meet up and i was like oh well like i should probably let you get back to studying (laughs) and he was like oh no it's okay and i was like oh but I, I have to go. I really think you should go back to studying. <laughs> but no, it's so important. So sometimes you just got to be assertive and get up and leave. Yeah. I will say that putting bottoms on top in my Instagram bio and therefore having my Instagram attached to my Tinder and having my Instagram be unlocked opens up a lot of conversations. Wow. And it's really interesting when people ask about, you know, like, What's your podcast about? Yeah. It's cool, but sometimes I wish they wouldn't. I generally name drop it because I want people to listen and review us and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And that's the end game, isn't it? You're starting new projects in your senior year, but are you having any senioritis, John? It's your last semester here. Academically, I've had senioritis since sophomore year of high school. (laughs) Like, I just really am not. Explain. I'm just not a good student. Um, was it you or someone else who was commenting oh no it was Ian the former host of Bottoms on Top who was saying you know I'm not a good student all they can say is that I go to class (laughs) but (laughs) that's literally it and so that's been the case basically since I was 16 but I would say that senior spring has me feeling a little loose a little free 
I'm like, it, as the saying goes, shoot your shot. So I'm ready for it. And I'm open to having everyone's shot shoot it on me. <laughs> <laughs> so shoot your shots to podcasts at the DP. DP.com. <laughs> um, our production assistant, Sammy, has um, requested that we discuss what gave us an edge when applying to Penn. Um, and I will say that Chris Cahill, was, who was a guest on this podcast recently, once freshman year did look me in the eyes and say, how did you get in here? <laughs> and I was like, first of all, that's incredibly rude. Second of all, true. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I would say for me, uh, straight people stop listening. Okay. Um, I would say just between us gays, it's because I wrote my essay about being gay. And that's about it. That's the tea on that. What about you, Andres? Um, I think for me, it's because I wrote my essay about being biracial. White people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take your earphones out. <laughs> yeah, I think it was because I wrote about being biracial. And um, I think it was stupid luck. I didn't even know. I didn't know what Warren was when I applied to Penn. And I applied ED. <laughs> yeah, I would say, I mean, for everyone, it's like, unless you're a legacy admit, which quite frankly, another DP podcast just did a, a great episode on the legacy admission policy. But unless that applies to you, I would say it's luck for everyone. Um, did you want to go to Penn, John? Yeah, I did ED too. Same. Now that I think about it, I knew nothing. Yeah. I think I just, I, it might as well have been a dartboard. Yeah, more or less. But, but here, here we are. <laughs> um, Cupcake was spotted. And by spotted, I mean she took a photo of herself and posted it outside of Capitol Records. So it looks like we've got, like, an official record deal coming from her, which is super exciting. That is wild. And on the other end of rap, Azalea Banks has finally signed another record deal after not having the one that she lost before. She's back. She won't be posting only on SoundCloud anymore. I'm so excited. I uh, I will not speak on my thoughts on Azalea Banks because I don't have many, but I did see recently that she smack-talked Lord in, on, like, an Instagram comment, and people were like, all right, like, it was fine when Azalea Banks said faggot, but, like, how dare she, like, shit-talk Lord? And these were, like, loyal Azalea Banks, Azalea Banks fans, so... Hopefully she's not getting herself into more hot water right before a record deal comes through. Lord could use a little criticism. Let's <gasps> I, I, I don't care about Lord. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Azalea Banks has also been cooking on her Instagram live stories every single night. Oh, my God. And That's... making some really intense recipes, too. Jerk chicken, Ooh. like all these chickens, like all these like beef stews and stuff. She is intense. You know I love Instagram live. Yes, today I was John's only viewer for about five minutes. <laughs> so I, I just really love going live. I think it's like really fascinating and I don't have the vocabulary to explain it, but I just think it's like really stretching like the boundaries of like what it means to perform and like et cetera in the 21st century. Like, one time I ate a raw onion for an audience of one, and it was my friend Nolan. But it's just, like, something about, like, doing this and the thought that anyone could be watching but no one is is, like, really titillating to me. So today I put on a wig and a tri-cornered colonial hat in my room and danced and lip-synced to the entire 
first album of the Dixie Chicks. Like, if this was, like, a 45-minute, like, affair. You went on for 45 minutes. Yeah, I I did it until my phone died. I watched for five minutes until the dentist called me in. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Nick. Hello. Charmed to be back here again. So, this time around, we put you on assignment. Yes, I'm the beat. Because I have come to learn some things at my time at Penn about what I have dubbed anti-gay hostile architecture on this campus. Mm -hmm. Namely, and this has been mentioned on this podcast before, that there used to be a sauna in the men's locker room in Pontrock back when it was known as Gimbal Gym. When was this? This was, let's say, 80s. Who knows? Mm. And there was so much gay sex happening in it that work-study students were instructed to enter the sauna to break up the men from going at it. And that's probably AIDS crisis, so that's like public health scare, homophobic, messed up Johns. Mm -hmm. You said it. Exactly. Um, And so now the sauna is in a very public area with wide windows looking right into the pool. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's anti-queer. It is. Hostile architecture that was intentionally designed to prevent us from being happy on this campus. Exactly. Another is probably more well-known, which is that the Steitler basement bathrooms are historically a big cruising site. Mm -hmm. And as we know, there is a pen card swipe to get into the bathrooms within the building, which to my knowledge is a unique feature on this campus. I'm not aware of any other It is, except for like the fine arts buildings, but those are because of studio space. This one should not be locked. Um, And I think that was intentionally put there by, like, public safety and facilities in order to try to prevent the inflow of people going there to cruise for gay sex. And has it worked? No. They're still getting it down there at a lower frequency. But still. So a long-winded introduction to say that I wanted you to think of other spaces on campus that we can dub anti-queer. Mm-hmm. In an intentionally designed way. Yeah, so I just want to start some conversation and sort of see what you guys think too. But um, I'm going to interpret anti-queer architecture broadly to mean anti-queer spaces on Penn's campus. Please. Um, So I would love to start with um, the Moellis Reading Room, the new room um, that's named after a current Penn student, um, NVP, or her family. Um, And it's a room that has beautiful plush... um, velvet chairs there's a nice tapestry it it seems very queer friendly and inviting there are lots of outlets Mm -hmm. um which is usually like a signifier but um they have a no outside drinks policy which means that there is a woman a particular woman i do not know her name uh but she walks around with a clipboard and makes you throw away all of your iced coffee which i think that is some profound structural homophobia at work within the pen library system so what do we think on the library, other spots in general. I know the library has other hotbeds of activity and discrimination. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I would just say that, uh, to put it in direct terms, water is allowed in the Moellis reading room. In an airtight container. Right. <laughs> and you could argue that iced coffee is gay water. Mm. And therefore, they're directly cutting off a supply of nourishment to us that is available to straight studiers. Um, another spot in VP I would like to discuss is the Shakespeare room the Shakespeare room um, sixth floor 
overlooking mm. College Green. Mm-hmm. Very beautiful, very sumptuous. Um, my qualm is the temperature <laughs> in that room. I guess they have a bunch of like nice books or something because <laughs> they have to keep it 85 degrees in there, forcing the gays to take off their nice sweaters. Um, yeah, I just think that's a further... That's homophobic. That also kind of smells like vinyl up there. Like, it smells weird, like, nine times, nine days out of ten. It does, like, and yeah. they try to cover up these facts with, like, acts of pink washing, so they'll, like, <laughs> they'll they'll put in, like, um, marble stall doors and, like, the bathrooms near the music room. Um, they put in, like, more bottle fillers, but, like, this is a band-aid to, like, a severe structural <laughs> issue within the Penn Library system that I don't think the university is, like, quite ready to address. So that's where I stand on that. Pink washing, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, the next room I would love to talk about is, um, well, just as as a th- concept, the wind tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to spell this one out for sure, us. Sure, sure. So the wind tunnel is, this is the backstory. So the three high rises, I forget the names. I know the names, I just don't want to say them. Um, <laughs> They are configured in such a way that they direct wind to travel between them. And this is because they were originally built to uh, be in a part of Texas where it was so flat they didn't have any wind. We don't have any use for that in Philadelphia. So in between the 38th Street Bridge and 40th Street, between the high-rises, is what we have dubbed the wind tunnel. So under the tampons. (laughs) Are you making this up? The high-rises were originally supposed to be in Texas? No, no, no. They're duplicates of buildings that were supposed to be in Texas. That's what someone at the Civic House told me. So okay. that's Glossville. Oh. Joyce, our, our, our creative consultant, Joyce Pharma, says that it was in Arizona. Oh, shit. I just wanted to be Texas. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I think that the wind tunnel has a profound... So is it, it's designed to create wind in yes. an area in which it there would was not, not normally Yeah, occur. that would have been windless. Wow. That's it's true. Like Joyce is nodding. Other like East Coast schools have like a similar problem. Like my brother goes to school in Albany to have a similar. But thing. I'm saying that is a peak example of homophobic architecture. Oh, absolutely. The config, the configuration of like landscaped public space in a way that it destroys our hair, uh-huh. makes us slip. Yeah. Well, we know that gays are very slight. They are very, very. There were skinny, light, skinny light legends <laughs> that like blow over easily. Knocked over in an instant. Yeah. Wow. So how how do we overcome all of this homophobic architecture? Um, collective organizing <laughs> um, and solidarity. So we're going to be starting to schedule. I'm going to get behind it as queer walking groups. We're going to walk together and we're going to have riot shields and we're going to go down the wind tunnels and we're going to save our hair. Um, we're also going to form an iced coffee union from a Wellis reading room. So that we can have a labor advisor on site when the woman comes to take my Wilcaf iced coffee. Um, and as far as Steitler, we're going to bring a brick, and that door is always going to be propped open. And there's going to be queer shit happening in the bathroom, whether they like it or not. And on that weird circular green couch. Yes. So I think these are some tangible steps we can take, in addition to calling your local congresspeople. <laughs> Do you have anything else? Anything further? Um... I think that's the extent of my... Uh, I would like to say that the fourth floor of all of Fisher Bennett is homophobic, but we don't need to comment on that. I think it's self-evident. Yeah, we don't need to go there. And that's all. Bye. Think. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Nick. Whatever.
Hello. Hello, miss. How are you? I'm even better now that I'm hearing your voice. How are you? I'm quite well. Hi, Giovanni. Hi, Andreas. How are you? I'm quite well. I'm living. How's New York got, since you're not got my little home? direct deposit last night or you know yesterday morning and so I'm really I'm truly living today. Happy payday. Happy payday. So Giovanni, we're here to talk about making friends once you leave the beautiful patent bubble. Mm. And as What a, a topic. As we've discussed when you were previously a guest on this podcast, for reasons unbeknownst to us, you were rather popular on this campus, wouldn't you say? <laughs> um, for reasons similarly unbeknownst to me, I was. <laughs> um, so why don't you start by just telling us about your perceptions of what it's like creating queer community at Penn and kind of the mechanisms there. Mm-hmm, absolutely. <clears throat> creating, create, creating queer community at Penn, I felt was like very facilitated in the sense that you can find queerness almost all around you. Like the LGBT center is there. It's in your dorms, your classmates, your friends. You can sort of like facilitate your own queer community if you really desire Almost as, like, easily as it can be done. And now, Giovanni, you've graduated. Tell us how you're living. You're in New York. What are you up to? I'm in New York. I'm working a good, normal, regular job. Um, little little nine-to-six type thing. Oh, an extra hour. Um, I yeah, hope you little, get that lunch break. Hour. I do get that lunch break. You know I do. Okay, okay. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a life. Um, it's It's been difficult like to be honest just like adjusting to being like a hashtag adult um only because it's like now you don't you don't it's not as clear what you need to be doing with your life and your time you know like the amount of time you can dedicate to friends who are similarly working jobs or tired or whatever the amount of time you can dedicate to yourself um, it's sort of a realization every day you wake up and you're like, oh, well, like the majority of this day is going to be spent, you know, in a cubicle or wherever, right? In my office space, in my work. And then the rest of the time I have to figure out a way to dole that out among like responsibilities to like cook and clean and like live like an adult and other like self-fulfillment aspects, like friends, community, like that kind of stuff. So it takes a lot more intention. Absolutely. It takes a lot more thought overall. Create a well-rounded life outside of the structure of Penn. Mm-hmm. It takes thought. It takes emotional energy. It takes intention. Absolutely. And I think that like, even if you're sitting at Penn, right, you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, well, I work two jobs. I go to classes. I have a full class schedule. I'm engaged with all sorts of extracurriculars. Which you weren't, so, to be clear. Which I wasn't, to be clear. <laughs> I did work. To be clear, I did work. I did not engage in every sort of extracurricular, but um, you, it's it's still different from that experience as well, because the rest of your life facilitates social interaction, right? Your classes, your clubs, your the fact that you live in the same vicinity as like all of your closest friends. You can walk like three blocks and find like everybody you wanted to find. Right. And that's just not the way it is when you've left Penn. Give us a play by play of what you've been up to. Mm. Tell us about your gay knitting club. 
Oh, I will 100% be starting a gay knitting club because it's a great way to deal with anxiety and stress and your mental health while at the same time being in a great queer, like, welcoming space and producing a lovely scarf. So you're, you're planning to make your own queer knitting group? Or join one. Are there ones that exist that you've looked into? Um, haven't gotten that far yet. I'm still in the thinking stage of this. Uh-huh. Okay. And so, aside from being in the thinking stage, not even the Googling stage of <laughs> um, a queer knitting club, what other steps have you, have you taken? Have you thought about taking? And while you answer that, I'm going to f- Google a queer knitting club because... It can't be that hard to find online. So no, I'm, I'm sure it's question. not that hard. It's not that hard at all, I'm sure. Um, other steps um, probably include getting my finances in order. That's been a huge thing for me. Um, moving to New York is like not the cheapest thing to do in the world, even if you have like a relatively like stable and or well-paying job. Um, so just like getting settled in that sense has occupied a lot of my, like, emotional and mental energy. Um, but, you know, having, being in New York in particular is also a, a, like, separate conversation because it's, there's so many people from Penn here that I do have, like, a group to fall back on, right? I do have, like, friends from Penn that I was very close to at Penn to, like, fall back on. So in that sense, it's, like, somewhat easier because I can get involved with things that they're involved with, or I can talk to them over like certain ideas, like this protest tomorrow, um, through like a pen connection, Christian. So being able to like Giovanni's build. very woke for those who are listening. You're excused, ma'am. <laughs> what are you, since you've insisted on bringing it up, what are you protesting? It's about protesting purges of LGBTQ people in Azerbaijan and Tajikistan. Okay. But I've only brought it up because I'm noting that it's, it's how I've built, I'm trying to build my, like, life here. Okay, no, that's that's totally valid. Activist circles, I would imagine, are places that are relatively queer-friendly and where you Precisely. can meet friends. Precisely. So finding the spaces that, like, align with your interests. And it's also about defining the interests that you have in a world where you have very limited time and resources. Okay, so we've got knitting, we've got activist circles. Do you have anything else on your mind? Uh, I have another friend that wants me to join some gay running club or something, like stay in shape or something, but I don't do that. Yeah, that, whatever that is. That sounds right? horrible. <laughs> that sounds horrific, doesn't it? Um, well, let's let's brainstorm, Giovanni. We brought mm-hmm. you here under the guise of you being a guest on this podcast, but this is an intervention. <laughs> We're going to help you out right now. Help me. Help me, honey. So have you been going out? I have. And where how has been that going? been? Yeah, where you go? Where do I go? I go to bars. I go to, I go to restaurants. I go to clubs. I spend a lot of money, and then the next day I wake up hungover, tired, thirsty, and with an empty wallet. That sounds great. This sounds like good, solid... Social butterfly. Yes, working. I'm loving this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I I have Googled some different meetups, and there are a lot of different meetups for a lot of different interest groups, it looks like, if you're living in the Big Apple. We have a, a daddy retreat for men's wellness. 
we have the largest LGBTQ meetup group in NYC, Queer Happy Hour, Lesbians Who Brunch, Gay International Happy Hour. You speak Italian, right? You could go to that. (laughs) (laughs) There's a couple book clubs, a lot of different identity-based groups, uh, different naked parties, it looks like. This one's just called New Gay Friends. Uh That looks ideal. So it looks like, to some extent, in an internet age, in a place like New York, the only limiting factor is your willingness to get out of bed. Um, I would also venture to say your time and your money. Okay. True. Very true. I think that John and I are still a little short-sighted. We're still in college. We have no worries. We're young and wild and free. But I think we can relate a little bit to making queer friends outside of Penn, like in the summers and things of that nature, right, John? I'd say so. But I don't think with the same amount of responsibility that Giovanni has right now. Smaller scale. Yeah. Training wheels. I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's, like, definitely relatable. I think any time that you're leaving a place that, like, facilitates your social interaction the way that Penn does, it becomes, like, more of a task. Well, Andreas... Maybe you can uh, provide some insights to all of us, because I know you were abroad this summer. Would you like to share some of your strategies for making friends in a new city? Yeah, I was just thinking of that. So I think for me, when I was in Shanghai over the summer, a lot of it was that I was looking for a very small group, which may seem like it makes it harder, but actually made it a bit easier. I was looking specifically for queer people that spoke English, because I don't speak Chinese. Mm -hmm. So when I was looking for that crowd, there were fewer spaces to go to. So once you've identified one or two of those spaces, then it became easier to, this is kind of what you have to pick. I think the problem comes up where if that space doesn't work for you, then you really have to work a little harder to look for that. Also, the same for Giovanni, my workplace was very queer friendly and all people who spoke English and were from mostly the United States, so. But let's also discuss making friends from gay dating apps, which I think sometimes can be hard, but also easy. Okay, how do people do that? On a real question, like, making friends off of gay dating apps, I have yet to understand how that functions. I've done it before. Because I feel like the basic premise of the gay dating app is we find each other mutually attractive. Like... From there, there's, like, I don't know, flirting, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, there's just sort of the assumption that that's the, the premise we're working with. And so as soon as we enter the realm of, like, okay, we find each other mutually attractive, but, like, we're not going to act on that in any regard because we're going to be friends. Unsurprisingly, I'll be the voice for Grinder in this conversation. Um, Classic. <laughs> I, Hire him. <laughs> I agree with Andreas, I think, a lot. Like, if when I was in D.C., it was, like, the second summer, at least, my primary motivation was to make friends so that I could have people to go out with, like, to gay bars or whatever, and have that consistently without it being dependent on a romantic interest in them. And so, like, one guy on Grinder had in his bio something about this TV show that a friend had recommended I start watching. So I just messaged him, and I was like, hey, like, I've actually been meaning to watch that show. Like, you want to hang out and watch it sometime? And so I just, like, went over to his apartment. We watched the show. I didn't think he was really super pleasant as a friend so I didn't do it again but it gave me something to do for that night and it could have blossomed into a friendship so I'd say either making your intentions clear or 
holding on to what you think could be a friendship mm. out of let let the phoenix of a friendship rise from the ashes of asses. <laughs> you trash. <laughs> trash poet. Well, Giovanni, thank you so much for giving us your time out of your busy day where you have no time to find knitting clubs and chatting <laughs> with us today. We really appreciate it. We'll find some and post uh, a link to the knitting club on our Facebook. I'm I'm not too concerned. I think I will find them. I'm just, uh, you know, I have other things to do. Well, we wish you the best. Thank you. In- thank you, ladies, so much for having me on. Any day. You're the second time. This is unprecedented. <laughs> Wait, isn't this the third time? Don't get no. it twisted. <laughs> Goodbye. Yep, yep. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Bottoms on Top with myself, Andreas Pablo. And me, John Holmes. We want to take a moment to give special thanks to our producer, Lauren Sarantino. Our creative consultant, Joyce Varma. Our production assistant, Sammy Gordon. Wexler Recording Studio and the Kelly Writers House. Kate Gian, who made our cover art. And Andrew Ellis, who provides our theme music. You can find him on SoundCloud as Dummy Fresh. We'll see y'all in two weeks.